From the Holy Gospel, the eighth chapter of St. John, the words of our Lord Jesus, Truly, truly, I say unto you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. This is our text. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, dear friends. A good question for you on Trinity Sunday, indeed a good question for you, I would suppose on any Sunday, a good question from a good Lutheran pastor named James Southwaite, who asks, what is religion? Is religion God getting involved in my life? Or is it me getting involved in God's life? And then he goes on to explain by way of question a little bit more, and he, he goes on to say popular religion, the kind of religion that you see on TV and that you hear about on the radio and that you read about in most books at Christian bookstores in the malls, it all starts with our life. And he's right. Think about it for a moment. So much about What's called religion in our day, and even much in Christianity, is what God can do to make things better in my life, in the here and the now, because it seems that everything is centering in on me, and on mine, and on you, and on yours. Bringing God into my life, bringing God into your life to make your marriage better, bringing God into your life to make your kids better, Bringing God into your life to make your job better. Bringing God into your life to make your days better, to make your health better, to make your happiness better, to make your relationships better. Bringing God into your life to make everything better than before. God, you see, as being sort of an additive, something that's added to the center and the core of all things to us, which is our life. And that's how often people in our day think Christianity also to be. Any wonder at all then that the focus becomes how you can ensure that God comes into your life and is present in your life, what you do to make it happen. And so TV evangelists tell you that you have to open your heart unto, into God and that you have to to uh, invite him in, that you've got to decide for Jesus, that you have to yield to a spirit so that the spirit will come in and, and fill your life. And then everything will be better. If only you do this, and you bring God into your life, which is the center of all of your thinking and all of your doing, it's all up to you bringing God into your life. Sound familiar? It does. Sound logical? I suppose. Biblical? Not at all. Scripture never speaks this way. People speak this way. God doesn't speak this way. The things of God never start with us. The things of God never begin with what we do. Isn't that what God told us in the reading that we heard but a few moments ago from the Proverbs? where it speaks of Christ incarnate, where it speaks of Christ even in the pre-incarnate stage, it calls him wisdom who was with the Father from the very beginning. It doesn't begin with you. 
It doesn't begin with me. We're not the center of the universe. We're not the point of origin from which all of the universe came. We're not the point of reference around which everything in this world revolves. We're not the source of any life that is in the universe. To the contrary, by our sins, what have we done? What has humankind done? By our sins, we have unleashed a power that destroys life. Not that's the center of it, but that throws it apart in every direction. By our sin, we've unleashed death in the world. Death that ultimately touches every one of us and everything that we touch that's so evident in our lives, in families, in societies and communities around the world in our day. And what can we do about it all? Absolutely nothing. We are helpless in the wake of the disaster that our own sinfulness has brought into this universe in which we live. Absolutely nothing, as the prophet once said of death, which is the consequence of mankind's sinfulness. It says that death is the shroud that enfolds all people. Death, Isaiah said, is the sheet that settles and covers upon all nations. And look at how long it's taken us to, to plug up a hole in a 20-inch pipe in the Gulf of Mexico. We still haven't done it. And then to think that we can address the most pressing problems even of our time and we know that we haven't succeeded there and then even more to think that the answer to the universal problem of death starts with man, starts with us, starts with our lives. As much as man may like to think himself that important, as much as he might like to think himself as powerful in some way as God or to be like God, as much as we might individually like to think that everything begins with us in our lives and everything ends with us in our lives, that's not reality. And nothing shows us that more clearly than the brevity of our days here on earth. You have made my days a mere hand breath, the psalmist said. You know what a hand breath means? It means simply the length of the, of the hand, a few inches. You've made my life but a few inches, the psalmist says. The span of my years, O Lord, is nothing before you. We are but a breath, the psalmist says. It doesn't begin with us, and it won't end with us. As we heard in the reading from Proverbs a few moments ago, everything starts with God, with God whom Scripture unveils for us. We never know it otherwise. Were it not that God himself unveils himself and gives us a glimpse as to who he is, and he identifies himself as, we confess in the creed, as God the Father, who, as we heard in the Proverbs, made the earth with its fields and the first dust of the world, who established the heavens and drew a circle upon the face of the deep and made the skies that are above. With God the Son, who was identified in the second reading this morning as Jesus the Christ, whom the psalmist speaks of as God when he says, And the Lord said to my Lord, to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And the Holy Spirit, who is the promise of God the Father to God the Son. You see, it all starts with this 
this triune God who has revealed himself to us, the very God that the church has always confessed and is evident in the historic creeds that we confess in the Apostles' Creed, the triune God is confessed. In the Nicene Creed, the triune God confessed. In the Athanasian Creed, which we say but once a year, and the triune God is confessed by the church of all the ages, each of them summarizing scripture's teaching regarding who God is and what God has done for man and for his salvation. And so Christianity, you see, is really not about God being drawn by me or by you or by us into our lives. It's about me and you being drawn by God into his life. Think on that. It's not about me opening my heart and my life and inviting Jesus into it. It's about God opening his heart and graciously, kindly, lovingly bringing you into his life. God in his mercy drawing us to himself. God in his mercy drawing us into his life. That's what our Lord Jesus says, really, in today's text. Truly, truly, I say unto you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Tarepo is the word in the Greek for keeps there. It means to guard, it means to treasure and to cherish. The man, the woman, the child who treasures that word that I've placed in him, the words of Jesus, that link us then to the life of Jesus. And guess what the life of Jesus is? The life of Jesus is eternal life. It's, it's that life that connects us to the life of the Father, which is indeed life everlasting. You see, it all starts and it all ends with him. It all starts and it all begins with what God does for you in bringing you into the eternal life that belongs only to God. And that's why the Lord says in the book of Revelation, I am the Alpha, and the Omega, and the beginning and the end, and the first and the last, referring also to Jesus in Revelation 21, the same exact words, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the one in whom St. Paul says we live and we move and we have our being, the God of life who wants far more for you than simply making things in life a little bit better for you while you spend out your span of brief years here upon earth, God is much bigger than that. He has far more to give you than that. He wants to make life not simply better for you. He wants to make life eternal for you. Eternal, not simply better, but eternal for you, dear friend. And these two things are vastly different. They're vastly different because... If you think of God making life simply better for you, that means that there's a God out there who can simply tweak little incidences in, in life. He can tweak some cause and effect thing over here in your life, and he can tweak some other cause and effect sequence over there in the life of someone else, and then the divinely tweaked thing would make things turn out differently than they other would, otherwise would have for you. That's making the incidental things of life better for you. And that's all that religion is for a lot of folks, a process by which they invite or by their piety entice 
God into their life to work out and to tweak out certain things that will make their lives better while they're here, that will tweak a little bit this problem or that problem for this challenge or that problem, a tweaky religion with a God who simply tweaks things. But that's not what Christianity is. It's vastly different from making things eternal for you in order to make things not simply better for you, but to make things eternal for you, God graciously draws you into his life because, you see, there is no other eternal life than that which belongs to God. And there's only one way, only one, to be drawn into the eternal life of God, and that is through the life of God's eternal Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Scripture says. Jesus who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father and his eternal life but by me. The one of whom the Apostle John says, we know that the Son of God has come. This is the true God and eternal life. He draws you unto himself that you might have eternal life, eternal life in God the Son, because through him and through him alone, God dealt directly, and he's the only one who has dealt directly with the sin and with the death that would have kept you forever from being able to have that eternal life to which God would draw you. And he didn't do it by tweaking something apart from himself over here, or by tweaking something in your life apart from himself over there, by dealing with your sins and with death at a safe distance from you. No, he dealt with man's sin, he dealt with your sin, he dealt with our death. How? By becoming what we are. God becoming man. By becoming what we are to do what we do, to die our death for us, to suffer our sins for us. As the Athanasian Creed on this Trinity Sunday put it so eloquently concerning God in the flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, is that he is God, begotten from the substance of the Father before all ages, and he is man, born from the substance of his mother in this age perfect God and perfect man. You see, by allowing himself to become man, God becomes vulnerable to everything that sin does to us in this world and to all that it would do to separate us from him eternally. He even became our sin for us and experienced our eternal death for us as he hung upon the cross for us from which he would be divinely catapulted for us from earth's time and space into the timelessness of eternity that he might bear upon the cross the eternal separation from God that each of us deserves. But he did it all for you, that you might know, that you might experience eternal life and be drawn into his eternal life, the life that he drew you into through holy baptism a long time ago, even as he will, little Walter David, met me at the second service this morning, drawing you up out of the waters of baptism wherein he cleansed you and received you, 
and dressed you with the garb of his righteousness, that garment of salvation that he supplies for all whom he invites to his feast, singing with all the gathered, even as we did a short time ago, Hallelujah, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, that feast at which with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven we sing holy, holy, holy Lord God of Sabaoth. The ancient song of the seraph around God's throne. The sanctus of the seraphim of the triune God into whose life we are being drawn by the very body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who said he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. You see, through the inspired word of God, the Holy Spirit, which brings you the sacrifice and the sacraments of God the Son, Jesus Christ, all the while God the Father drawing you in this way into his eternal life. Tomorrow's Memorial Day. It's a day of remembrance as we honor the dead who served our country and recall especially the sacrifice of life's blood that's been made by so many to ensure that we can do what we're doing today, that we're able to gather together as a people and, and openly praise our God and openly confess our faith in the one true triune God. It's a freedom that's not enjoyed by a lot around the world. It's a freedom that certainly has not been enjoyed by most Christians in most times and in most places. And therefore, it's a freedom that's not to be taken lightly, but rather one for which we surely tomorrow and today should thank God. As has been often said in so many ways, freedom is never free. Others may pay the price of it for us, but it's not free. It's costly. In this fallen world, freedom is always required that a blood price be paid for it. Shed blood, commemorated by the words of a Canadian physician and a lieutenant colonel named John McRae, who wrote the famous World War I poem that's entitled In Flanders Fields, which speaks of poppies red growing over the bodies of soldiers dead who bled for the freedoms that we enjoy. A poem which inspired a woman at the time, a professor named Moina Michael, to write the following words which began the custom that I remember so well and perhaps many of you do from your childhood, the custom of wearing red poppies in remembrance of veterans and fallen soldiers on Memorial Day. And she wrote, we cherish too the poppy red that grows on fields where valor led, it seems to signal to the skies that blood of heroes never dies, but lends a luster to the red of the flower that blooms above the dead in Flanders' fields. If that is true of the blood of the sons of the nations on Flanders' fields, it most certainly must be true of the blood of the Son of God that was shed for the life of the whole world. Its power never, ever dies, but ever draws us 
into the eternal life of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.